Good morning. Uh, well, I said it first service, and I'll say it again. You were way too kind with me. You made me sound way better than I am. So, <laughs> But we are so blessed to have uh, you, Pastor Ross and Barb, uh, leading us. Uh, all of us pastors, just we look to you guys. We love you so much. And uh, you really set such a great example studying and preaching the word and just living it out. Uh, and I said this too, what you guys see here Sundays, what uh, Pastor Ross is uh, outside of church as well, which is a big compliment. So, uh, all right, this morning to the text, we are gonna take a break from the New Testament. We're gonna go back, back into the past to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, book of Daniel, Anne. Okay, so turn to Daniel chapter three. Anne was trying to guess what book we were in this morning. And uh, before we get started, and while you're turning there so you can follow along, uh, I'm going to ask the Lord for his grace. So if you can join me in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're just uh, amazed. We look outside, we see the sun in the midst of a storm, God, and we just uh, look at around and see so many believers that are just sold out for you, and uh, you're moving mightily in their lives, in our lives, in this church body, God. You're using us to shine your light. Uh, to a dying generation, Lord. And we just want to be faithful to that, God. We come and, and we do what you've set up for us. You've given us each other, body of believers. You've given us your word uh, and you gave us your life. So Lord, we just pause and in humble reverence, we're going to sit under the teaching of your word today and be taught, God. And we pray that we just have receptive hearts, Lord, and attentive minds, God, and, and we just be ready for what you have in store for us today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so I have a quick question before we get started. Uh, how many of you here today were born and raised in California? Just by a show of hands. Okay, a lot of people. All right, good stuff. Uh, you know, California is a beautiful place, so I figured some people might have migrated here, you know, south for the winter or however that works. Um, but if you grew up here in Sonoma County, uh, or California at least, you probably remember learning about the history of our state. California was founded during the gold rush, 1849 gold rush. We're the gold rush state. Uh, and it's interesting because you can still see that filtering down in all kinds of areas in California still. Uh, there's the Klondike country up in Sacramento where you can go and pan for gold like the, like the gold miners did. Uh, there's a football team that is named after the gold rush. Anybody know what that is? Okay. Excellent. Anybody know how they're doing? Want to vote on it? Okay, good. But you get the idea, right? So uh, gold, it's always been popular, ironically. There's something about it that everyone knows. It's a precious metal. It's rare. Uh, it's beautiful. It's worthy. It's worth something uh, just to the human eye. We know that. And so we use terms like the gold standard. It means, uh, oh yeah, you're meeting the standard. You're as good as gold. Uh, but some people might be interested to know that the biggest thing that affects the gold market today isn't the lack of gold, because that would just make it more valuable. 
And it's not the lack of interest, because especially with the economy the last few years, gold has been very, very uh, popular, as you can imagine. But the actual biggest threat to the gold market is fake gold, fake gold. And you may have already known this. Uh, there was an article and some reports done over the summer uh, of all these fake gold coins that are infiltrating the gold market. And we have some pictures here for you. And what they do is counterfeiters have developed a way to uh, take worthless metal, essentially, very cheap metal, and plate it with gold, and it looks almost identical to the real thing, to the naked eye. Coin collectors are even getting fooled. They have to use a variety of tests to make sure that, uh, that it's the real deal, that it's, it's the pure thing that it's being presented uh, as. And so there's a couple tests that they can do to make sure. Now, when gold, the gold rush was going on in California, you probably remember seeing this, but they used to bite the gold. Anybody ever seen that cartoon? You're biting the gold coin to see if that's real. Olympians do that nowadays, right, with their gold medals. Uh, funny side note about that, gold medals are like 70% silver, so they don't know it, but it's not even real gold. Anyway, moving on. So and that's, a, that's a fact. So uh, they're biting the gold to see, is this, is this real? Gold was counterfeited back then with lead and plated with gold, and so it's softer than gold. So if their teeth mark left an indentation, uh, then it was probably fake. So they're biting it to see if it's real. Well, that doesn't work anymore. We have newer metals, newer processes. Uh, so how do you test to see if that's the real deal? I looked it up online, and I called a gold or a jewelry supply uh, shop in Santa Rosa, and I said, how do you guys do this? There's so much fake gold out there. With technology, it looks almost identical. How can you tell? And he told me a little bit of the history. So what they used to do, uh, up until machines came that could measure density and metals, et cetera, is uh, they would take a hammer, and they would take an awl, and they'd pierce it. And they'd try to pierce through the top plate in to see what was in the middle of it and leave a little ding on the gold coin. And if it was gold underneath there, hey, it was a real gold coin more than likely. And if not, well, you just found yourself a fake. Now, people have been, uh, have been very fooled by this. There's thousands and thousands and even millions of dollars people have lost in fake gold. And so uh, by now you're probably wondering, why is this guy talking about gold, right? What does this have to do with the Bible? What does this have to do with anything? Uh, and it's for a reason. It's for a reason. See, the Bible says that our faith is more precious than gold. More precious than gold. And the Bible also talks about our faith being tested because God wants to see what's on the inside. Are we gold-plated or are we pure? Are we the real deal? Do we have the real faith? And so uh, we're going to look at a story today about three young Jewish men who were tested. And uh, their faith was tested. And God is going to reveal that they had the real deal. So let's look at Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, etc., all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we're going to look at how God tests us to see if our faith is genuine. The first point, if you're taking notes, that we're going to discuss is real worship. Real worship. Now, it's helpful and important to know the background. Where are we at in the Bible? Where are we at in human history? So that we can try to understand what these guys are going through and what God's trying to tell us. So this land is the land of Babylon. Uh, Now, Babylon is ancient Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. And so that's where this was located. And Babylon gets its name from an event in Genesis chapter 11, where the people of earth gathered and they decided to have the very first fake religion. They decided to worship something else besides God. They built the Tower of Babel. And if you remember the story, that is when God came down, confused their languages, all the peoples and nations and languages, and they scattered about and it was over. And uh, what's interesting is that this exact same location, or this area at least in Babylon, on the plain of Dura, was the same location as where the Tower of Babel had been set up. So there's a lot of history going on here. This isn't just a, uh, uh, you know, a story that's come together you know, spur of the moment. This is a very significant event that's happening. Now we have a map of Babylon, which we'll show you here. You'll see Babylon to the right, and you'll see Jerusalem to the left. Now, Babylon uh, controlled, the Babylonian Empire controlled the majority of the known world at that time, including Jerusalem. And so Nebuchadnezzar went in and conquered Jerusalem and brought all the people back into exile. Now, this was no surprise to God, uh, who is the king of Jerusalem. He says that uh, his people were being disobedient and were going to be disciplined. And he warned them time and time again. He sent prophet after prophet. And if you have time here, you can flip through the Old Testament if you've never been there before. And you can find prophet after prophet going, wake up, people. Come on. Uh, God is, he's, you're, you're doing what displeases him. Do you think he's going to stand by you during that? Come on, just, just turn back to him and he'll forgive you. But they didn't want anything to do with God. He gave them years. I would have given him 10 minutes and said, this is your chance right now. Uh, He gives them years, and he goes, no, I'm going to send another prophet. No, I'm going to send another prophet, another prophet, another prophet. It's my people. I care about them. I made a promise to them. This is Abraham's children. I care about this people. I care about this place. But finally, after everything God could, could do, he finally let the result of their free will play out and said, okay, here's your, here's your discipline. You're going to be taken away from this country that I gave you. You're going to be taken away to a new people, to a language you don't know, to a culture you're not familiar with, uh, and you're really going to be kind of like their slaves. You're going to be looked down upon as the foreigners. And so off they went into Babylon. 
Well, that discusses the place, that discusses the exile. Let's talk about the king. The king is very important, King Nebuchadnezzar II. So this is the famous king, Nebuchadnezzar. And as you see here, this is a modern day picture, ironically, in Iraq of King Nebuchadnezzar and Saddam Hussein. If that gives you an idea of his character, Saddam Hussein tried to model after him. Think about that. He sees Nebuchadnezzar and goes, I wanna be like that when I grow up. This guy was bad. Nebuchadnezzar was a bad dude. And this picture actually hung on a giant mural outside the ruins in Iraq of Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And Saddam Hussein was trying to uh, win the respect of the people saying, I'm Nebuchadnezzar's son. I am of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm, I'm gonna make Babylon great again. And Nebuchadnezzar, besides conquering a bunch of places and running the world, also was big on building things. And so he actually built a huge uh, city called Babylon, which we still look at today and are amazed with. Here's the Ishtar Gate that was the entrance, just one of the gates to the city. You can see the beautiful blue there. And that's a reconstruction located in Berlin. And uh, they've put this all back together. And, and the commentators say, if you look at that gate and just imagine that being in the middle of a desert, and the sun shining, and the sand being dry, and, what, and you look this, it would just reflect off of this, this beautiful, brilliant blue. And I think we have a picture also leading up to uh, the gate, what it might have looked like. Just incredible, and that was one of seven gates. It's a lot of gates. So he was a big builder, he was in, into brilliance, and actually the inscription he carved on the side of that gate was, uh, from Nebuchadnezzar to all the peoples of the world, that they might stand in awe. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, that gate right there. Here's a second one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar created this as well. This is an artist's rendition of how he was able to bring in a water supply in the desert and decorate this, uh, this palace with more than just uh, jewelry or more than just stone, uh, but with life in the desert. Uh, he, he ran this. They could not figure out how he was able to do this. He had to get water up and bring it down and uh, had servants going nonstop, working this thing out just to make this real. And so he was a very, very powerful dude, and he had some significant accomplishments in his mind. And so now we're going to see that this guy has done another accomplishment. He's made a 90-foot-tall golden statue, and he wants something. He's going to dedicate it, and he's got a big ceremony plan. So looking back at our text, let's dive in. The statue, first of all, was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. That is a huge statue. That's nine stories tall, a nine-story building tall uh, and nine feet thick. That's huge. And the word here uh, in the Aramaic for image Scholars are still trying to figure out if that meant that it was an image of a man, because that would be a very disproportionate man. Or if it was just an image of, of a god, it'd be a very grotesque-looking god. Uh, but the proportions are very, very odd. But what it does line up with, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, is something very similar to like an Asherah pole, where they would worship uh, the false gods. And so here he is. He's built this monstrosity. He's covered it in gold. And he's invited everyone. That's why we read that list that was way too long twice of all the people. What scripture is trying to say is he invited 
all the right people. Anybody that was anybody uh, that was an authority was there. They were there. They were coming down to see, you know, uh, what's going on. And he commanded them, come, you're coming. We're dedicating my statue and you must come now. So they're coming from all over the world because he's conquered the, norm, the known world. They're coming from different countries. They're coming uh, from different languages, different cultures. And they're gathering all together, all the powerful people. And he's creating really the best the world has to offer here in this ceremony. And he has all the right uh, bells and whistles. He takes all kinds of instruments to do music. And he's going to make this a big show. And his goal in this is to get all of these people to bow down and worship his achievements, worship what he's made, to unite them once again, uh, almost like before the Tower of Babel, to unite them once again, come together, we're one again, we're a kingdom again, we can do anything again, come together and let's worship together, united under this one giant statue. So he adds in a little bit of a disclaimer. He says, and by the way, if you don't, I'm going to have you killed. I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And the next word the scripture uses is, therefore, as soon as the music started, everyone bowed, right? <laughs> is, yeah, that's why everybody bowed. Uh, in our first point in real worship, uh, we got to see counterfeit worship first. And that's what this is. Counterfeit worship. It's gold-plated. It looks great on the outside. You know, the TV cameras would be there nowadays. All the people are there. They're, What's going on? Helicopters are circling, and there's lights, you know, even though it's in the desert in the daytime, but they have lights anyway, I'm sure. And all these things are going on to get people's attention and say, this is a big deal. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this going on, but it's fake. One, they're not worshiping the real God. You can't have real worship if you're not worshiping the real God. Two, it's coerced, it's under duress, it's under threat. This is a worship or else service. This isn't a worship service, this is worship or else we'll kill you. How do you know if that's real worship, right? I mean, they're just worshiping because they didn't want to die. Maybe some of, some of them liked Nebuchadnezzar and liked the idea, but they said, uh, yeah, naturally we're gonna worship. What else are we to do? So they fall down and they worship. They're bowing down. But as we learn later, there are three people who did not bow and they're standing right now. And they're kind of thrown in the midst of this. They're the obedient Jews who are still committed to following God's law. And now let me tell you, God is serious about worship. The first two of the Ten Commandments have to do with worship. I'm the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. Don't bow down to idols. Don't worship any created thing. Worship me. And so they knew this. And I think the feeling of kind of as they're getting introduced into the account right now is a feeling that we all feel when we're kind of thrown into that situation where there's a giant dilemma and we're feeling convicted. We're going, how did we even get here? I don't want to be in this situation right now. All right, now we're in like a moral dilemma, you might call it. Okay, now, uh, now we're ending up um, in a place we didn't intend to be. We ended up at a party and uh, it's kind of out of control. It's not what you thought. Uh, and now what do you do? It's, it's friends from work, you know? But what do you do? What, what are you supposed to do? They're all bowing down. They're all, they're all following the ways of the world. They're all doing counterfeit worship. They're not worshiping the real, the worshiping the real God. 
uh, we find ourselves in all kinds of situations. You know, maybe you end up uh, going to see movies with a movie with friends. You didn't know about it. You're in the movie theater. You're seated, uh, and all of a sudden it gets inappropriate. What do you do? Well, you didn't plan on this. Yeah, you stand up and you walk out. You stand up and you walk out. It doesn't stop there. Let's talk about finances. Let's talk about finances. So you're working late and everybody's gone home. You're the only one with the keys and you're locking up and you realize that uh, whatever, the checks and balances were out of order and there's an extra hundred bucks sitting there. No one would ever know. What do you do? Look at Joseph, the account of Joseph. He's there with Potiphar's wife, serving obediently and she comes and tempts him, tries to get him to be sexually immoral against God. What do you do? And so my question to you today and to myself is, what is it that you and I are bowing down to when we need to be standing up? What is it? Joseph ran away. He ran fast. He was out of there. He said, no, 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 no. You're out of your mind. We're not going to sin against God. This ain't happening. And he left running. He just, he fled. He he just didn't want to fall into it. He's out. He's gone. So what do you do? You do what's right. You get up and leave. I never would have thought of that before I was a Christian. It's like, oh, you know, here it is. Even as a young Christian, I didn't know what to do in some of these situations. They demonstrate true worship because you have to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. The Bible in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two talks about worship. Paul says uh, this, actually, I'll read it to you. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what God's will is. These guys, these three Jewish guys, are worshiping God by not bowing, by not conforming by not succumbing to the pressures of the world and going, everybody's watching, everybody sees. Uh, If I'm standing up, I'm standing out. And that's the last thing I think a lot of us uh, want in our own fleshly desires is to stand out. Everybody wants to fit in. But God's saying, ah, no, there's a time. And this doesn't mean that you stand up. Look at what they're standing up for. They're not standing up for their rights. They're not standing up for their desires or their demands or whatever. They let all those go. They've been learning uh, about all the gods of Babylon, but not following them. Uh, They've been learning the new language. They probably didn't want to do that. They've been eating Babylonian food. Well, kind of. They had some restrictions on that, which got honored. Uh, But they've been doing these things they didn't want to do, but they don't stand up for any of that. These guys aren't troublemakers. They're obedient to the Lord. And they're saying, I'm going to serve the king. God told me to serve the king good or bad, according to his law. As long as it doesn't violate, uh, violate God's law, I've got to submit to him. And they're doing that. But now it's crossed the line. They're going, okay, now, now I've got to stand up. And so you can have friends, uh, relationships with unbelievers. That's not even a problem. Uh, you can work in a secular workplace. You don't have to work at a church. Uh, that's not a problem. Uh, you can talk. You can laugh. That's not a problem. But you and I both know where the problem begins. It's when the line is crossed. It's when you go to the comedy show and it's not the type of humor you thought it was going to be. It's when, uh, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. This this could be any situation. And so uh, they are truly worshiping the Lord. They're not bowing. 
And so this is going to bring us to our second point because it's caught the attention of some people who are looking for an opportunity. Let's look at verse 8. It said, At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, etc., and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down in worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither, neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So here, point two is going to be counterfeit allegiance, real allegiance versus counterfeit allegiance. So here's counterfeit allegiance, and this is how we know. Here you have some dedicated uh, astrologers who are loyal to the king. And they just happen to be looking around while they're bowing down and worshiping this idol. And they notice three guys not bowing down. And they are cut to the heart. They are grieved for their king. It is their duty to report this immediately to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Is that what it looks like? No way. These guys are opportunists. This is counterfeit allegiance. And this is how we know this. Look again at this. Who are these guys, the astrologers? That word was used in the previous chapter. And there's some history here. When Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and asked his astrologers to interpret it, and uh, they said, uh, yeah, just tell us. And he said, no, you have to tell me if you really are who you are. And they were counterfeits. And so they said, that's not fair. And uh, he said, I'm just going to kill all of you. And then thank God, Daniel saves the day. He prays to God. God gives him the answer. Uh, he gives it to the king, saves all their lives. And then Daniel gets promoted as well as, as well as his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we don't know that these are the exact same guys, but they probably are, especially with uh, how they're responding here. You see, imagine that. Nebuchadnezzar, who they've served probably for years, uh, got mad at them and wanted them dead. Uh, that's way worse than firing, right? You have, you know, if you've seen somebody fire, there's, uh, there's a lot of emotions involved, but man, can you imagine just, you know, just kill them, all of them. You know, let's start over. We'll get a whole new crew in here, you know? Like, we served you for years. Seriously, this is what you're going to do? So uh, secondly, jealousy. So, okay, they're saved. Ooh, and who's the big heroes? The new guys, the foreigners, the younger kids. They're the ones we got to work for now. We're serving them? Unacceptable. I'm sure they harbor some bitterness in their hearts. But they come and tell the king. And look at how they tell him. They repeat exactly what his ordinance was, word for word. Hey, we were listening, O king. We were the ones that were paying attention. They're looking for a promotion after uh, the guys die. And so he goes, uh, uh, look, he says this. He goes, you, you said all this. And then in verse 12, but there are some Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They're pinning Nebuchadnezzar in a corner. And they continue on and they say, yeah, we just happen to get their names, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right over there, those guys. Uh, and they pay no attention to you. Check this out. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image you've set up. How would they know that they haven't been serving their gods? They've been watching for a while. They've been watching for a long time. Why are they just now coming forward? Because it's the perfect opportunity and they're opportunist. It's perfect. Think about it. 
They're waiting for their revenge. Everybody who's important is gathered. The king has issued a decree that everybody heard. These guys have violated it. The king can't back down now. He can't say, well, they're my friends. He'll look like a fool in front of all of his advisors. He'll risk losing his kingdom maybe. So no way. So he's backed into a corner and that is counterfeit allegiance. Allegiance when you're just trying to go to the highest bidder. That's not allegiance, right? They would go to any king uh, that would give them something more or better. It's counterfeit allegiance. What is real allegiance? Is standing by someone's side when there's nothing on earth to be gained. That's real allegiance. That's what God requires. So check this out. Uh, As you can imagine, so we start looking at real allegiance, verse 13, you can probably guess how Nebuchadnezzar was going to respond to this. And uh, the astrologers were not disappointed. Check this out. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, etc., if you are ready, if you are ready, to fall down and worship the image I have made, fine. But if you don't, I'll throw you immediately into a blazing furnace. And then he continues on and says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You know? Now, two interesting points about this. One, okay, he blows up. It's, he's got rage. You know, you don't cross him. He gets whatever he wants. Uh, whoever he wants to live, okay, fine. They, they live, wants to die. They're like dead immediately. And he goes, get these guys here now. I'm mad. You don't pin me, me in a corner. I'll show you my word. All right, we're, you know, we'll have this out right now. But something happens. His attitude changes a little bit. And he asks them, he kind of looks rational, insane for like two verses in this whole account, right? He's like, you know, okay, is it true, guys? Did you not want to, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. Let's try this again, okay? And that's a very interesting point. That's right out of the devil's playbook. So you've stood up. Good job. The devil will give you a second chance. And sometimes it's nicely. Okay, you stood up. Okay, all right. So uh, you claimed it on your taxes. Good job. You claimed the work that you were supposed to on your taxes. Excellent. Okay, but you don't need to turn it in. Right? You proved the point. Or you told the guy that you were going to claim it on your taxes. So the world knows that you're a good person. And, but you don't need to actually do it. That'll cost you hundreds of dollars. You proved the point. Okay, okay. Good job. You've passed the little test. Don't follow through with it. You know, or, or I've, I've invested so much money into this. Uh, I'm not going to lose this, or maybe it's so much time. I've invested, I've invested months or years in this relationship. And I finally put my foot down and said, no. And they said, okay. And the next day, okay, I get the point. I get the point, and boundaries are crossed again. No. Be watching, be solid, and be committed. And it, your allegiance is getting tested. You know, another way they would test gold is they would they ding that thing, right? We talked about it. Well, so they're dinging it twice. Going, okay, oh, good, right there, that was a soft spot. Let's go over here now and check it. That's what's happening to your soul. You're being tested. Did you really mean it? Now you're not in front of everybody necessarily. Now you're in front of the king. I'm being nice to you. All right, you've made your point. You love your God. Maybe this is God's way of, you know, saying good job. No way. Don't fall for that. Don't ever fall for that. 
And you see how they were not fooled with that either. And he was foolish enough to say, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I mean, come on. And his thinking is, I'm that powerful. I know all the gods, you know? I built all their stuff for them because they're not real, right? It's like, I'm buddy-buddy with them. Your God, my God, same thing. And they're saying, no, big difference. Our God's real. And let's look at their response here. And this is true allegiance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is real allegiance. That's real gold right there. That's the real deal. This is the real thing. And you know what's so funny is this is not what's being sold on TV as as faith in God or Christianity of, wait, what? You lose everything. I thought God wanted you to be rich. I thought he wanted you to be happy. That won't make you happy. You know, isn't that what the gospel is all about? Isn't that why Jesus came? They would say, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would answer and say, uh, no. He saved me from my sins. He saved me to eternity. Who cares what happens here on this earth? I stand with him. And we have a God who cares about us and loves us and blesses us and treats us so graciously and mercifully uh, in so many ways. But that doesn't mean that our faith will not be tested, that we will not be put on the docket and say, okay, now it's time for everything. Everything. You've given You've given your worship, okay, good job. Here's your allegiance, right? Okay, so your allegiance, your allegiance is to God. Wonderful. But here's the thing that uh, we can see in here that is a great point for us today, and that's uh, that it doesn't matter necessarily physically on this earth. Uh, it doesn't matter how our faith is tested. We can still depend on God and trust in God because the way that they looked at this is they said, look, so fine, so you kill me, then I'll stand before God's presence. They said, I want you to know, number one, God can save us, because he, he's real. Okay, number two, uh, he might choose not to, because he's wiser than us too. So he might have a better plan in mind, and we might go to be with him. I'm fine with that. They're like, either way, I want you to know that. They didn't know for certain that they were gonna be saved necessarily, but they knew God could save, and they said, you know what, but I'll trust him over you in that case. And obviously this made Nebuchadnezzar upset because he's seeing real allegiance and it's not for him. He's mad. He's seeing guys who uh, weren't forced to worship God, but he's seeing guys who are willing to worship God even when they could die. They're putting everything on the line. And so as you can imagine, he's upset. So let's look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. Now he's back into his real person. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he threw them, or, and they threw them, into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, 
fell into the blazing furnace. So this is our final point, real salvation. We've seen real worship. It came willingly from the heart. Willingly, they're going, we would rather die and serve God who we know than serve you, O king. We've seen uh, real allegiance. They said, we would rather die than give our allegiance to you, O king. And now we're seeing real salvation. They're at a point here where there is nothing they can do to be saved. They don't have knives hidden on them. They're not big, strong guys like the Hulk. They're going to bust through the chains and run away. They are completely bound. They're trapped. They're stuck. And that is our life. That's our situation before God. If you think about that, anybody that is a born-again Christian believer who is the real deal, your gold inside and your gold outside, you have a story like this where you can say, oh yeah, I remember that. Your testimony isn't something like, you know what? I read the Bible. I had some good morals tossed at me. Uh, I learned a lot. I picked myself up by my own bootstraps. I cleaned up my life and I said, I want to do better. That's not faith in God. That's faith in yourself. Faith in God is, I realized I couldn't do it. I was bound up being drug away, uh, literally in my own sin to death. There was nothing I could do. I was bound. I tried to free myself. I couldn't. And it wasn't that I found something inside myself. It wasn't that uh, I found some new knowledge that set me free. I met the Savior, Jesus Christ. I found him. He set me free. And we're going to see that play out here. So Nebuchadnezzar, still seated during this whole ordeal. Two of his guys burned up. He's not interested. There's more guys, right? But we're going to see what captures his attention. So let's look forward. It says, Uh, Verse 25, or verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So you can tell by his reaction, this was not what he was planning on happening, okay? So he's looking at this, and uh, this is the only time where he really kind of got up and got excited. You know, before, he's like, off with their heads, you know, let them worship, okay, great, uh, let, let's burn, whatever we got to do, that's all fine. And then he goes, look, and he stands up. I was not expecting this. And he looks at this, and, and this is how you can tell that where you're working at, you probably shouldn't work at anymore, is when your employer comes to you and goes, Did we throw three guys in the furnace or four? (laughs) Find a new job. God doesn't want you to work there, okay? You know? (laughs) Uh, But that's who Nebuchadnezzar was, man. He He did not care about people. He did horrible things. He was a bad king, but he's amazed right now. He's looking and he's seeing these guys who should have been tied up. Uh, And so he asks his, you know, his advisors, he's like, didn't we throw three guys in tied up? You know, and they're seeing, they're going, what, they're not tied up? Did somebody forget? Are we going in next? What's going on here, right? Am I, are we in trouble? And he's going, no, look, there's four people in there. They're walking around. Something's wrong. And look, the fourth one, he doesn't look like anybody I've ever thrown in the fire before. And he says it in the most Gentile way possible, right? He's like a son of the gods, you know, like he looks important. Some, this, that is not, that's a guy that ain't a guy. That's, there's something more to that guy right there. And something's shining, something's, uh, no, he's, that, that's interesting. And so he, he runs now 
to the entrance and he says this, he goes, uh, he approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted. Got to remember that this was blazing with heat. He had to shout. It was heated seven times hotter than usual. He's shouting into the furnace and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. He has to call them out. And that just really shocks me every time I read that. I'm like, <laughs> when I go through trials and God's done an amazing work and I'm like, oh, that was not me. And wow, I'm, I'm just like, I'm out of here. Like, I don't ever want that to happen again. That's like my own weakness and my own flesh. I'm going, you know, like, I don't want to like hang out in that trial. Uh, and they're just business as usual. They're not jumping up and down and they're not like bowing or sitting down and talking. Like, they're just kind of walking around. Just like, what's the big deal? Just walking around with Jesus. And, uh, and this is real salvation. Real salvation is when you have the real God that you've met and he sets you free. He says, uh, Jesus says, behold, whoever I set free or the sun sets free is free indeed. Free indeed. We have real salvation now. And this is what was so surprising. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar knew the other gods couldn't save because they're not real. Uh, but now one has, the real one. He's come and he saved these guys. So he's in shock and he does something natural for anybody that sees it. He runs and he wants to find out more. He calls them out and he says, uh, you know, come out. They, they come out, it says. And, and then it says, all these people who are gathered are now gathering around for a different purpose without being threatened, without being intimidated. They're shocked. They've seen something real for a change. So naturally they're, they're inspecting these guys and they're looking and they're going, uh, oh my gosh, let's, you know, they were in the fireplace. What? That's crazy. They, they should, they're not burned. And they're checking their skin out and they're checking their hair out and they're finding out that their hair was not even singed, the Bible says. Uh, they're finding out that their robes were not even burned. There was nothing wrong with their bodies. They weren't, they weren't scorched. And there was no smell of fire on them. That's incredible. Uh, even that last part, there wasn't, it didn't even smell like smoke. And if you've ever dealt with a fireplace, if you still have one of those in Sonoma County, <laughs> they are really one, they're really messy, they're really dirty, and they smell like smoke a lot, unless you get used to it, right? So you're trying to set up a fire uh, for your significant other and have a romantic evening, and then something falls and it rolls out of the, the <laughs> fireplace and you're getting a new mat out there and you're getting smoke out the window and you're cleaning everything down and you, you're like, forget it, that's a bad idea and you try to make it look like normal, they're gonna smell the smoke. They will at least smell the smoke. And these guys did not even smell like smoke, not one bit. They were completely saved. And that's, that's our God, that's real salvation. Not partway, which would still be incredible. Completely, he saves us completely from our sins. And I've met people who have gone through some pretty incredible, uh, perilous situations uh, in their own life, even before the Lord, and they did not smell like their sin. They did not smell like the smoke of what they had been through. I'm like, gosh, wait, tell me that again. Did I hear that right? You did what? How did, where did you find, God, he saved you out of that? That's incredible. You don't even look like, you don't even sound like, you don't even smell like it's, you're a new creation. That's the real deal. And that's the kind of salvation that our God offers. And so finally here, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be the herald for God. 
He's going to praise him kind of accidentally. Just he doesn't know what else to do, right? He's, this is incredible to him, even to a great, powerful king. And verse 28 says, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. He gives praise to God. Now, he isn't saved yet. He's seen and he hasn't decided to place his trust in Christ because he says, their God, their God, their God, not my new God or my God or the real God. But he's getting there. If you read on in the following chapter, you'll see what God has to do to get his attention. But you know, when I read this originally, I've heard this story for years growing up. I remember it uh, even when I was a child going to church. Uh, I remember this story, and I remember thinking, man, how nice it must have been for, you know, when this evil king had assembled all these plans, and uh, then, you know, some guys decide to stand up and stand for the Lord, and God, like, realizes, you know, that, oh, wow, they're standing for me. I better do something. So he, like, gets dressed and goes down and stands in the fire with them. Uh, that was my thinking. And, like, at the end of the day, phew, they were just barely saved. And, uh, but that's not what happened here at all. The beginning of the story says, like, look, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did this. He gathered this. He set up this. And it was all for his glory. But God is sovereign. He's the king of kings. And he used a wicked king with sinful desires to gather everybody around. And his three guys that were just bold enough to stand up and said, I'll be light. I'm just going to stand your promises. I can't save myself. But I'm placing my trust in the God who can save. And God goes, awesome. Okay, all right, wait for the fire, wait for the fire. Boom, they're in the fire, and he's there with them. It was God that brought them all around. They come and gather now. Why? Because God was revealing to the whole world at that time. He's revealing to them, this is the real deal. This is gold inside and outside. This is real faith in God. This is uh, what we would call uh, born again. You know, not just faking on the outside, because that can only get you so far right? Someday you're going to get tested and it's going to be known and exposed to everyone. It's not the real deal. But this was real salvation. And so uh, this just reminds me so much of my life. It's been 10 years ago this month that I uh, uh, came to repentance. I placed my trust in Jesus, even though I was raised in a uh, Christian home and went to church. Uh, I was faking it. I was the counterfeit. I was a good counterfeiter for a while. And then I was exposed. And so went off the deep end, that I didn't believe in God. God's faithfully brought me to repentance. And I just remember during that time of just going, my whole life was counterfeit. What I've built up is not real. It's counterfeit. It perishes. It's not eternal. Uh, I, and I just remember the cry of my heart uh, after just asking God to forgive me and save me. As I said, God, I want it to be real. I can't fake this. I don't want to fake this. It's too hard. It's, it's not worth it. You, you give everything you got, and then it doesn't work out uh, in terms of trying to fool God, right? What's the point of that? You see my heart, Lord. I want the real deal faith. I want the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. So they went to the fiery furnace. They must have been scared. And God, you know my weaknesses. You know my cowardness. You know uh, my flaws. You know all this stuff. <laughs> What is it that makes them different? I want that. And that is a gift. 
It's the gift of his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ did the work for us. Jesus Christ went through the fire and you'll notice that they were pulled out. He was still in there. Couldn't see him anymore, but he was still there. That's where Christ is, his, the fellowship of his sufferings. He would go to the cross. He would die. He would conquer death. And he'd say to anyone, now come to me. I've done it. I've accomplished it. I want you to come to me and I will forgive you of all of your sins. You'll have the real deal faith inside and out and you didn't have to earn it. He knows we're a bunch of counterfeiters without him anyway. He sees our heart anyway. He doesn't need a tester. It's, he says, come to me and I will give it to you because you'll know me. I'll change you from the inside out. You'll be pure from the inside outward. The outside will start changing too. All that fakeness will be swallowed up by what's really going on inside. And I said, that's what I want. God, I know it doesn't come from me. And he gave it to me. I, I look at this 10 years later going, God, that was not me. It just, it wasn't. You I see the changes in my life. I go, that was you, God. You, get, you were testing me and, and somehow I didn't do what I would always do before. Uh, something changed. And uh, he offers that to all of us here today. And let me just close with this and say, if you were like me and if you were really good at faking it and if you had a nice, shiny, identical, gold-plated coin of faith outside and on the inside you knew it was just worthless metal and you could fool a lot of people, let me just tell you that it only lasts so long, number one, but what's the point? What's the point? We're talking about eternity here. What are you willing to give up for Christ? Do you want the real deal faith? Do you want the real, do you want to be born again if you're not? Do you want uh, to know what it's like to not say, okay, I got to get up and go to church this morning. I, got, I want God to love me. You know, I got to earn my, no, to go, I can't wait to go like the, you know, the astrologers are running to check out these guys. You know, you're going, I want to see what God's doing next. I want to be encouraged I want to encourage others. I want to be with brothers and sisters going through the fire and encourage them. I need to be encouraged. I want to learn God's word. I want to find him in his word. I, I mean, this is something that has to change from the inside out. And if you have just are hearing that going, man, that's me and I've never done that. Let me encourage you with everything you got. Stop trying and just admit it to God and just ask him for his forgiveness. Receive what he's willing to give you and he will make you new from the inside out. And if that has happened, if you're like, no, I, I know, I've, I've got the real deal, but what is going on lately? I, I'm not standing up when I need to be. I stand up more for myself than I do for God and what honors him. You know, and you're going, what's going on? Well, let me encourage you. If you have the real deal, you have uh, the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you're a temple of God, the Bible says, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need. Even though you're weak, he makes you strong. And so all you do is you trust him. You take a step and you step up, you stand up and you stand out and you trust him. And then there's, there's some testing, right? There's the ding on the plate to see, is this the real deal? And there's maybe uh, some struggles in a relationship or uh, maybe there's you know, uh, some payment to be made, whatever it is, but you're going, no, I don't care. I want the real deal. And that is what saves us. That's what can save us is being locked into the real God with real allegiance. It just means following him, just receiving what he's done for us. And it is all 
only because we have a God who didn't sit on the throne and boss us around, but we have a God who is more powerful, more precious, got off the throne and went through the fire for us. Let's pray. Lord, we're just, we're just so amazed, one, that you would love us. We're such fakers, God. We're such fakers sometimes. I just remember how good I was at faking. Uh, it's just incredible. And I, I knew, I could hear the ping. It's not real. The metal's on the inside. It's worthless metal on the inside. It wasn't, wasn't pure gold. It wasn't pure trust in you, God. But Lord, we're also so grateful and thank you, thankful, Lord, that we don't have to do it ourselves because you know who we are. You know we're a bunch of fakers, God. You know that we're incapable, we're bound to our sin, we're tied up, we're thrown, in, we're thrown into the fire. Uh, Lord, just completely helpless. But you said this, you said, place your trust in me. Come to me and I will make you new. Living water will come from within you, not from without. Uh, you will be saved eternally. It'll be my work, not yours. All you have to do is come to me, the real God. Lord, we just, we thank you so much that you are willing to come down for us. God, and we just pray that we would continue, Lord, to, to live out this life with real faith. You've given that to us as we've trusted in you. You've given us everything we need to stand up for you, to stand alongside you, God and just to remember going through those things that you're in it with us. We love you, Lord, and we just look forward to what you have in store for all of us this upcoming year. In Jesus' name, amen. And the offering that Jesus wants is not our money so much as our hearts. As you quoted in that scripture, Romans chapter 12, one and two, so we're the offering. We're the living sacrifice. Give our hearts, our minds, our agendas, everything. But I, my takeaway, one of the many, every time I stand for God, I'm worshiping him. It gives me more of a motivation to want to resist and do the hard thing of resisting in that moment you just find yourself in to say, no, I love you, I worship you. Like Joseph said, no to Potiphar's wife, how could you ask me to sin against God? She's like, who brought God into this? <laughs> I'm not mentioning God. But on his heart, I'd be hurting God. That's a whole different way to worship. And Carlin, the other thing, I'm so glad that I don't have to be pure gold on the inside. Well, we all fall short there, don't we? Paul said in Romans 7, I know that nothing good dwells in me except the Holy Spirit. So you go looking in there for some good gold, you're not going to find any unless it's the Holy Spirit and his character qualities. All he's asking for is genuineness. Not a perfect life, but perfectly surrendered. That's perfectly real. Wake up in the morning, broken, empty. Fill me, God. I'm just going to be, live for you, take my stance for you, and walk with you. That's all he's asking. We can do that. I don't have to 
fake that part. We could just be who we are. You're good at being you. And Jesus, right? Carlin, I wanted to say, wow, all caps, wow. Give me your notes. Come here. Bring your notes up here. I whispered in his ear when he came down. Thanks for helping me into coveting and envying your gift. That's what he preached from. Four sentences. Stop it. How did you do that? I mean, you can do that and say the same thing over and over again for 45 minutes. I've done that. But, but, but there was substance and depth and emotion and, and details. And there's not there. I love you, I think. Come on. One of the joys of being a pastor is raising up young men and finding hidden treasure, hidden gold. Who would have ever known? This isn't the guy, I told you, the first time I met him, he was taking garbage out. I was like, who are you? What are you doing? And he says, so the garbage needs to go out, right? I said, well, who asked you to take the garbage out? And he's like, do you need to be asked to do something that needs to be done? I'm like, I like you. Oh, praise the Lord. And you preached from your own life 10 years ago. You do not, you know the story. When you hear the stories about how he was, you, you, no way. No way. (laughs) That was weird. (laughs) But you smell good, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this guy. Thank you for Jeanette as well. They're a precious family. And all the Fort Camps and those related to the Fort Camps. Man, what a wonderful bunch of people, Lord. Thank you for your anointing because uh, we're just all helpless without your Holy Spirit and your grace. So thank you for using people who are broken and empty and all bound up and prone to wander. But your wonderful grace, your steadfast love, you never give up on us, Lord. Help us just lay it down. Lay it all down. Start from scratch and be just genuine Jesus followers and lovers. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.